0: This is the Beautiful Writers Podcast. I'm Linda Siebertson, and Maria Shriver will soon be joining us. Her gorgeous new book, I've Been Thinking, Reflections, Prayers, and Meditations for a Meaningful Life, drops today. My guest host for this one is the amazing Lisa Gibbons. The three of us had this conversation a few weeks ago, and I'm still so moved. Lisa is a longtime bestie of both of ours, so this was so much fun. I'll keep this intro short because you already know these visionary women. You've watched them on TV for decades. You've read their bestsellers, perhaps cheered as they won awards and championed the lives of women and children. In this hour, we're going to talk about family and friendship and parenting and our struggles believing that we're doing enough. We'll break down tackling big things and alternately letting ourselves off the hook. Since we're all readers and writers here, of course, we're going to cover writing. And what could be more important than keeping our brains healthy for that, right? Both Maria and Lisa are on the front lines fighting for a cure for Alzheimer's. So I'll ask what kind of preventative things they're doing at home that we can emulate. We might have a few things to say too about how to be mama bears for ourselves when our kids and our ex-husbands get on our one last nerve. (laughs) I'll close this intro by saying that when your uncle promises the country to land on the moon, uttering some of the most famous words in the history of humanity. And when your parents founded, oh, I don't know, the Peace Corps, Head Start, Jobs Corps, and the Special Olympics, all organizations that still inspire and uplift the masses, how the heck do you find your words, your voice? And yet, as you'll hear, it was Maria's words, Maria's voice, that truly changed the course of my life and in part gave me the freedom I now have. Lisa, too, was deeply impacted by Maria's words at a time when she really needed them. Needless to say, I've been thinking Maria's new book is filled with soothing, powerful, thought-provoking words, whether you feel like you've got it all together or more like it's all fallen apart. I am so glad you're here. I am so glad I'm here. If I'd been a kid when these two women got on the world stage, dudes, I would have had their posters on my wall. But for me here now, having this conversation, mm, It's way better. Welcome.
1: Please, thank you so much for coming back on My Love. I could not ask for a better guest co-host for today's show.
2: Well, you know I love you. I love your show. And my husband tells me I'm a little weirdly obsessed with Maria. So
1: it's like my lucky day.
2: So I'm so happy to be here. So happy. (laughs) Thank you, Linda.
1: Okay, before we bring your buddy Maria on, I want to say that oh my God, you two have so much in common. I did not realize this till I started doing my homework, but you're nearly the same age. You both live in LA. You have three kids. She has four. You're both mama bears. You were both married to actors. You each lost a parent to Alzheimer's and are tireless advocates for caregivers, for those mm. with the disease, for prevention and finding a cure. You're both super close to your siblings. You're on-air TV journalists who've won Emmys, written multiple New York Times bestsellers, Your fathers both ran for political office, and all four of your parents were major civil rights activists. I could go on and on, Lise, but in short, I would say that you and Maria are smart as hell, funny, loyal, animal lovers who have great hair, and... (laughs) (laughs) Maria, you're not supposed to be there, so don't laugh. So my question is, what does this woman, Maria (laughs) Shriver, mean to you, and what do you most love about her?
2: First of all, I love the great hair bit. Linda, I love that you're saying that we have all those things in common, and to the extent that some of those things are true, those are very lovely compliments to me because the reality is Maria Shriver does more on an exhale than I could do in a million lifetimes. That's just the truth. But to answer your question, here's what I love among a long, long list of things about Maria. She is a real supporter of others, especially of women. I mean, really cheers people on. We're talking behind the scenes, on the scene. She does it with her heart. She does it with her money. I love that she commits every day to trying. And to me, that's the highest compliment anybody can get. She tries really hard. She tries at her mothering. She tries at her advocacy, at her work, and she just shares it with all of us. And we can't get enough. She's just wise, and she's wonderful, and and she does have great hair.
1: I know. (laughs) As you know, in 2000, Maria wrote her book, 10 Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Went Out Into the Real World. And I would say more than any book in my life, that book saved me long before I could ever know that I would need it to. I'm totally paraphrasing from memory, but she wrote something about how no matter who a woman is married to or how much money they have as a couple, she needs to make her own yeah. money and that you never know what can happen things can change in an instant i had a hunch at the time that she was speaking right to me i never forgot that and i worked that much harder over the years to be able to take care of myself and our child if need be and i did need to and i had a hell of a time recovering when i found out that my husband was having an affair and that i'd need to borrow money from friends including you lisa who bailed me out so i could keep my lights on but My career sustained me, and it continues to, just as Maria had advised so many years before. I don't know that I would have the life that I had now had she not written that book. So my question to you is, is there anything Maria has said to you over the years that's changed the course of your life?
2: Oh, my gosh. First of all, I love that story. I can't believe it was that many years ago. And you have really been through a journey, my friend. (laughs) You really have. I think so many people... Have And I know Maria knows this on an intellectual level and probably at a cellular level, too, but so many words have changed the direction of so many of us. But recently, for me, I I was seated at a table with Maria at an event, and there were all these lovely women at this table, and it was at a time when Maria's life was going through changes. And there was a very well-meaning friend who was there mm-hmm. at the table who said something with the greatest intention, something like, well, Maria, you're just going to do what you always do. You're going to hold your head high, and you're going to throw your shoulders back, and you're just going to move forward. And that's what you always do, and that's what you need to do now, something like that. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be overhearing this or whatever, and I kind of fidgeted around and moved my purse from side to side. Maria took a couple of beats before answering and basically said something like, very eloquently and respectfully, not this time. I'm going to be with this as long as I need to see where it's going to take me and I'm just not ready to move forward. So that's what I loved, that Uh that was one of the things that she writes about in her new book. I've been thinking that I'm so excited that we'll be talking with her about today. She talks about, it's our own timetable, whatever in your life, when you're ready to move forward. So when I heard those words, my life too had been going through some changes and I wasn't, doing that great at moving forward. And I felt like such a failure that, you know, what kind of a woman? I'm not a strong woman. I'm not, you know, pick yourself up and dust your pants off and move Mm -hmm. forward. And I wasn't doing that. When Maria said that, Mm -hmm. I thought, damn straight, that's Maria Schreiber right there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it really meant a lot to me. I never spoke with her about it. But the fact that she had given herself permission and had even in that moment, she could have just said nothing and said, you know, yeah, well, I'll be fine or whatever, but yeah. she didn't. She took it on in a very elegant way, and I don't know
1: if anybody else at that table took those words in, but I sure did. Oh, I love it. Maria, how does that feel to hear that from your buddy, Lee?
3: Oh, can I come in now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maria's hiding, like,
1: around the corner or something. <laughs> hiding around.
3: Thank you, Linda, for what you said, and I'm really glad that 10 Things uh, spoke to you. And helped you. That's the whole reason to write a book, I think, yeah. is with the hope that it'll help somebody else, that it'll speak to somebody else, bring comfort to somebody else. And regarding Lisa, all those things, when you are reading them off, that we share in common, our relationship has been really, really long. And the gift that she has given to me, I would like to say, is that she knows me, sees me. Not my name, not the family I came from, not even the job and all that sort of stuff, but me. And I think seeing somebody is probably the most powerful gift you can give to that person, particularly as people's lives change and maybe people become more famous or they marry somebody well-known. We think we know people who are well-known, who might be famous, but very few people actually know those people, know them. Lisa somebody over the years, has deepened her knowing of me, deepened her understanding of me. In turn, I hope I've given that back to her. I love her. She's a sister. I never had a sister. I have four brothers. (laughs) So I've always tried to build a sisterhood, really, when I didn't have one and be as supportive to other women and Get sisters that way, kind of, so I appreciate what she's saying. But really, the greatest gift, I think, that she has given me is a knowing of who I, Maria, am. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful and humbled and moved. It's the greatest gift of my life when somebody connects to me, and not my name, and not my family, and not who I was married to, and not my job, but me.
2: That's so sweet, Maria. You know, when you write about that, about your girlfriends, the faith keeper. Yeah, right, right. That's a beautiful term for it, it is.
3: Yeah, because they keep your faith, they keep your trust, but they have faith in you when you don't have it in yourself. And this little book, uh, my brother says, stop calling it a little book. I, but I said, it to me, is a little book. It came from all these columns that I've been writing called I've Been Thinking, and people kept saying to me, will you put them in a book? Will you put them together in a book? And I wasn't ready to write kind of a big book, but I was ready to put these columns They come out every week in my Sunday paper together with the hope that this book was that kind of book that you put next to your bedside, you throw in your purse, you put next to the toilet. I have like ten books next to my bathroom that I pick up and read before I'm gonna head out to the day, or I just sometimes I go in there and it's like a little cubicle of my own and I often pick up something and just read it for like a minute or two to inspire myself moving forward. So I hope this book is It's really an offering with the hope that it comforts, motivates, inspires, connects, that you nod with it, that you go like, yeah, me too. Okay, Mm -hmm. got it.
1: I see the chapters, Maria, as kind of your greatest hits, an answer to what I think is the age-old dilemma of how do I live my life to my heart's content. So your family was really an epic example of a mythical family, and I think it forced you against this kind of extreme backdrop to figure out what we all have to figure out in this life, which is what are my gifts and how do I share them? Not the way others think we should, but right. the way that we're wired to. And yeah. it's kind of like Cliff Notes, the great gift of this book, and I suppose you could put this right on the back cover, tell them I set it up. read yeah. these pages and get to your ultimate destiny faster. <laughs> How's that for a promise? That's great. That's great. I hope it inspires you to do your own thinking.
3: Because we're all inundated with what people tell us to think, what we should think. If you come from a very well-known family, people project things onto you. That's why I tried to say what Lisa had given me as a knowing of me. And seeing through that, oftentimes when people are in really famous families, they are very visible but not known and invisible in some ways. They're very visible but invisible, and that's kind of hard for people to understand, but it's true. And so figuring out what we all think. Not what a pundit tells us, not what a teacher tells us, not what a sibling or a spouse tells us, but what do we think about our own life? That's what this is about, really. It's to, I hope, nudge you to start thinking about what's important to you. What are your beliefs? How do you want to walk through life? How do you want to get through things? Because there are things to get through. And in a way, it's almost the most personal thing I've written because it tracks time that I keep writing every week. But my well, hope is that it
2: gets you thinking. It okay. does get you thinking. And you do reveal a lot about yourself, which I do love the blog so much. And I'm glad that uh-huh. you went through the public opinion to say, yes, put it together. You talk about what you called your I deserve. And I loved that portion, uh-huh. too, because so many of us struggle with that. And you say everything from you deserve breaks to deserving to be happy to the right to dream and how much those things have changed. That list of I deserve changed for you over time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I probably couldn't have written that when my mother was alive,
2: actually. Mm -hmm.
3: And I think that that's kind of interesting in and of itself. We become in many ways different people when our parents pass away. You still want to make them proud. But you also go like, well, you know, if I had said to my mother, I want to deserve this or I deserve that, she'd look at me like I was from outer space because that wasn't her experience in life. She didn't grow up like that. She didn't raise, as I wrote this, she didn't raise me like that. And so that would have been foreign to her. Mm -hmm. And I probably wouldn't have had the guts to tell her that. So just becoming a little gentler with myself going like, wow, I actually deserve to sit down here actually deserve to take a day off. It's okay. First of all, she's in heaven. I'm down here and like quit me. Or something. And just kind of even that recognition has made me a little bit lighter on my own kids. I'm like, wow.
2: You Maria, like, would you share when you were going through and trying to clean out clutter like we do and going through books, your most treasured possessions, would you yeah. share the note you found from your mother, the inscription? Uh, yes, there
3: was... I write in that there was a book, and it I opened it up, and it said to Maria, I can only love you more from heaven, and it kind of makes my heart kind of break every time I even think about it, because I opened that, and I looked, and I just stared at it. It was sitting on the floor, and first of all, you know, you see your mother's handwriting. Oh, That's yeah. a gift, because everything now is email, right? So just to see your mother's handwriting, and then... The knowing that that was true. I knew and know that my mother can love me differently from heaven. There's a big book actually coming out on her April 3rd, which is why I moved up my book a little bit to give space between the two because my mother was tough. She was a taskmaster. She changed the world with her energy and her fierceness and her rage and her passion. So I know that she loves me more from heaven because she can love me in a way that she couldn't love here.
1: You know what this reminds me of, Maria? I don't remember if I heard you say this the day at your place when Glennon was visiting or Martha Beck was there, but you told a really funny story about Sandra Day O'Connor saying basically, hey, what are you doing slacking with your life? And you're like, wait, but I'm doing Architects of Change and I've got this blog and I'm writing a book and she's like, yeah, yeah, what else? Yeah, no, I (laughs) I said you're horrified. It was really good. She, I said,
3: you know, I'm working, as you know, Justice, I'm working to try to find a cure for Alzheimer's. And she goes, but you've been working on that for a while. And I <laughs> said, well, I said, well, yeah, I know. But she goes, well, what else are you doing? I already know that. I was like, well, you know, that's kind of a big deal. And I said, you know, I'm also working at NBC. She goes, But you've been doing that for a while, too. Oh my and God. I was stammering, trying to come up with something new that I was doing that she didn't already know because everything that I had been doing wasn't impressive to her. And so I talk about it because it was like my mother. That's
1: what I was thinking.
3: Yeah, had come down and was sitting right next to me. She re- <laughs> They're kind of cut from the same cloth. Even though she grew up on the West Coast, they're both kind of frontier women. They're like ahead of their time, tough. And so the story is is that I then I looked at her dead in the eye and then I was like, you know, I'm working on myself. <laughs> and then she looked at me in there and she goes, that's good. It stopped her. It was the one thing I didn't dare say to say. I was like, huh. And she was like, huh, that's interesting. That's good. And then she, she just zinged she her.
1: Up.
2: Zinged <laughs> her. I, I
3: was so horrified. <laughs> I, I went into the bathroom and I was sweating. I was sweating under my dress, under my arms. I
1: was like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> I felt like I went through PTSD just listening to you tell the story. It was
2: really funny, though. But you know what, Maria, that story, we did relate to it, but what have you done of any significance? And it does juxtapose to so much of what you write about in the book when you ask the question, why are so many of us uncomfortable when we see someone step off the treadmill of daily life? Yeah.
3: Yeah, very much so. I myself have been uncomfortable with that. I've tried to kind of refigure my days, refigure what's kind of important to me, my time. You know, I just told Linda that I watched her time debt talk this morning, which I thought was terrific, because I think we are here for limited time. We are here, and how we're spending our time, all of us should do what she was saying in her talk, is step back, color code where we're spending our time. Mine on there had no incoming, no romance there. You had purple for romance, but... I think it's a really good thing to do, to step back and go, how am I spending my time? Where am I focusing on myself? And I spent a lot of time in my life focused on my work, focused on my family, my parents, my brothers, my husband, my children. And now really kind of for the first time, I'm looking at, I still have a child in college, but I'm looking at kind of like, wow, why am I still
1: working like I've never done a thing in my life. Why am I still working <laughs> at this pace? What my, am I? my fiance says that to me sometimes. He says, Linda, you've proven yourself. And I go, oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you don't need another testimonial, babe.
2: Another yeah. testimonial.
1: Well, I think that's a hard thing for people
3: raised, you've proven yourself. Yeah. To, I was raised by two people who worked My mother worked till she was eighty eight and I think never unfortunately felt like she'd proven herself and yet she'd created one of the most powerful movements in the world. And my dad, who as Lisa know, you know, had Alzheimer's and so one never really knows what those last years are like, but certainly I remember taking him to an Alzheimer's men's group and he's like, I don't want to be in that group with those people. They're just sitting around doing nothing. And he was like 90, you know? Oh, my god! Wow. And so I was like, well, no, daddy, these are people that are like you. They were generals and ambassadors. And I was like, I don't want to be in a room like that with people doing nothing. And I was like, okay. So I don't know if you ever kind of I think you wanna stay working, you wanna stay engaged in meaningful activity. We learned that in our work in Alzheimer's, right, Lisa? How important social connection, ongoing learning, feeling. I don't know if that you're proving yourself, but that you're doing something that has value beyond yourself. We really are hardwired to be
2: productive.
3: Well, Linda just even watching your time debt talk. When people tell their story, you realize how many lives are dealing with the same thing, right? Right. Reevaluating time, getting your priorities straight, figuring out what matters, trying to make what matters work, realizing that the success you thought was going to make you happy, you know you want to actually have a meaningful
2: life, it's so different than you thought,
1: Isn't it? et cetera,
2: et cetera. Mm. And wishing our kids would remember the parts of us that we want them to remember. <laughs>
1: Yeah, or just remember
3: all the fun trips you took them on when they don't remember anything, and then you're like, wow. I <laughs> know.
2: All the investment in them, and they remember the weirdest little moments. don't they? I know,
1: right? Don't they? I was laughing yesterday when I was reading your book, Maria, where you were talking about one of your kids was giving you a hard time, and you're like, wait a minute, no, 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 and you told your version of events, I had that yeah. same thing with my son yesterday, Tosh, because he's with his dad, he's been staying with his dad, and they're great friends. We're all great friends now, but the divorce was insane. So he starts talking, and I can hear he's kind of doing his dad speak. He's like, well, Mom, you did this, and you did that. And I went, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? my version, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And right. you know what? Yeah. It takes us a while. I resonated with that same part of the book. It takes us a while to own our version and say, uh-uh, honey, uh-huh. stand yeah. back.
1: That's not how mom remembers it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, Stand back, get the f- out of the way. No.
2: <laughs> Maria, I was really touched in the book when you talk about, and you were clearly moved by your experience with the nuns in yeah. Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Right? And yeah. how do you sync that up when you talk about, and you had said, you know, it shifted your definition of what real power meant? Right.
3: I've had an ongoing dialogue with myself about success, about power about feminine leadership, about worth, about visibility, all of these things for quite a long time, probably since 10 things. And thinking, oh, if I get a morning anchor job, I'll feel like complete good and I'll be at peace. Like, how wrong was I? So watching those nuns be in community, looking at them, working really at meaningful work day in, day out, kind of life-changing work by changing people's lives. And being in connection, the community really made me think about my life. Did I have community? Was I at the kind of peace that they were at? What was I really doing? They felt so much more content than I'd felt. So it got me thinking, which all of these experiences do if you stop and let them.
1: Mm. What I've noticed with Lisa over the years, and now having read your book, I see that you two share this in common as well, is that because you have a lot of children, to me with a single boy, three kids or four kids is a lot, and you've both made your homes kind of a hub, a safe, wonderful social hub so that your children bring their friends over and it's this beautiful community. I'm not even thinking of the work that you've created and the communities with the women's groups. But I'm just saying at home because my goddaughter, Ryan Chandler, absolutely adores you, Maria, and has told me how much you've given her encouragement for her dreams and the way in which your son Patrick has supported her. You're kind of known for that in L.A. You both are, (laughs) of having these communities at home with your kids and their friends. Well, thank
3: you. I mean, that for me is the single most important thing is to build a home. First of all, build it within myself. That was an aha for myself. Once again, I didn't grow up with my mother saying that sort of thing to me. So realizing that I could build a home inside of myself and that the home I built could be a reflection of that. I wanted to build a home, uh, particularly after I got separated, where my children felt safe, where they felt loved, where they felt at peace, that was spiritual, that was feminine, that was nurturing and where anybody could sit on anything and eat and drink anything they wanted without judgment. (laughs) And that's what I did. You know, I wrote down on a piece of paper what I wanted, what was in my mind, and I prayed it into the home that I built, and that's exactly what it is. And I feel blessed every day when I wake up. I say, you know, thank you, God, for this roof over my head, for my health, my faith, and my children and their health. And I feel really blessed, but I had never really done that, written out an in intention for a home, and it worked. <laughs> That's so sweet.
2: Maria, I want to be on your wall. I want to be one of the kids on your wall. Right? Yeah, I
3: was thinking of that the other day. I have no grown-ups on my wall. <laughs> so I thought to myself, I was looking at the other wall, and I'm like, everybody on the wall is 28 and under now, Yeah. So like, or an animal. And I was like, I've got to get me some grown-ups, or as my mother would say, the grown up on the wall.
2: Yeah. How oh. cute is it, though, that Maria Schreiber has a wall of her kids' friends? I know. I mean, that is a place of great honor. That's so beautiful, Maria.
3: Mm. Thank you. I actually, that was a kind of light bulb moment for me, and it works really well because everybody wants to get on the wall, <laughs> and no one wants to incur my wrath to come off the wall. So uh, <laughs> people will be like, "Can I get on the wall?" I'm like, Will you could bring me licorice or popcorn and stand up when I walk in the room and." Laugh oh, no. at my jokes, and you'll go on the wall.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maria, can so, I ask you some writing questions? Sure, love it. All right, so when you're working on a book, what does your schedule look like? Do you have a specific time of day that you write? I block out
3: in the morning. This one was different because it's a compilation of essays, and I usually try to write my essays in the morning, early in the morning after my meditation, I'll think of something or Somebody will send me something or it will jog my, or I'll watch something on the news that will jog my mind. So this one, and then kind of putting it together with the different essays, I blocked out time on my schedule because I had noticed that, and I found this with speeches, that unless I treated it as a appointment with myself, I couldn't get it done. So I would write out on my schedule 9 to 12 writing so Mm -hmm. nobody could interrupt me and that was that is how I either write a speech or how I put these essays together because a lot of these essays had new things in them that were timely to that given week which I had to take out and rework and I'm now writing stuff and I'm like oh, I wish what I was writing now is in there but
2: (laughs) (laughs) that That always happens
3: yeah that always happens so I usually block it off on my calendar and then yeah, hope you. that nobody bothers
1: me
2: so I can make the time for it. Yeah. Lisa, do you
1: block it out on your calendar as well?
2: Oh, my gosh. The two of you are actual disciplined writers and <laughs> schedule keepers and color-coded block list makers and all that. Whatever. <laughs> I'm very impressed and I aspire to that. I find you both very aspirational. I'm more like everything I've ever written, I've started by just dictating into my phone on my oh, walks know. with Biggie.
1: Well, yeah.
2: And <laughs> I'll like, oh. You um,
1: dictate it into the phone?
2: Uh-huh.
1: hmm. Into her voice memos on her phone.
2: Yeah, into the voice memos on my phone. And then I'll print those out and look at those and kind of, you know, yeah, that's truly, uh-huh.
1: Yeah. I used to do that before the phone had voice memos. I used to call my answering machine when I was walking Mary and just talk into it. Talk yeah. after into it. I used to write in
3: longhand. My first book, which was a children's book called What's Heaven, I wrote in longhand. Uh, and I find that actually, this might sound kind of weird, but I find when I write either in my notes or on my phone if I'm on the airplane or something, right? that it's almost sometimes stuff comes out of me that I didn't even know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. I yeah. had no,
3: and my hand starts writing things. Oh. I start writing. And I look at the words and move them around as because I'm very kind of word. A friend of mine wants to me, you're a word hoarder. You're a word hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. But it's almost like I didn't even know I was thinking that. Like your channel It comes out like that when I'm, not when I'm talking, but when I'm writing.
2: That's okay. how you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing.
3: Mm. What? When that's something comes out that you didn't know?
2: Yes, yeah, that's what I think. I think that's inspired thought happening yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
3: I love
1: that. that. How
2: do you um, two know each other? Oh. oh gosh, we know each other through our former husbands.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. They Is were on, let's see, twenty six years ago. They were both acting in a nighttime soap opera together for NBC. And Lise and I had young kids who were missing their daddies on location and they were totally acting out. And we the dads to- and the sons. Yeah, right. Everybody was acting out. <laughs> And so we met at a restaurant and my son was in diapers and he never threw a tantrum in his life until I sat down with Lisa at that dinner in a crowded restaurant and she had just come from the studio. She had full makeup on. I thought, oh my God, she's so beautiful and professional. And my kid is like screaming bloody murder. And Lisa goes, let's just go back to my house. So we did and that was it. I just fell in love with her right away. Wow. We had to be each other's little
2: sounding blocks of getting real for some things. It was a little bit of some testing of
1: relationships and of... You mean being married to actors who are yeah. so charismatic and bigger than life that we're in love with them, but so is everybody else and they do have said. great boundaries? <laughs> what she said. That's right. <laughs> I remember one time my husband said, I said, honey, you have to stop flirting so heavily. He would look at the clerk at Blockbuster and go, hey, darling. And so he came home one day and he goes, okay, I heard you. I'm going to stop flirting. And then I thought about it and I said, but if you stop flirting, you're going to turn off your light and then you're never going to get hired because it's that same light that makes casting directors fall in love with you. He couldn't figure it out. So he turned off his light for a couple of years, hardly got any jobs, turned it back on, got a whole bunch of jobs. And then, you know, the whole other women thing started. <laughs> it's very complicated. Yeah. I think that the
3: truth is life is complicated. I it's think complicated. life is for everybody. For everybody. I I think it's, as I say to my children, everybody has something. Everybody is going to have pain. Everybody's going to have heartbreak. Everybody's going to have highs and lows. For everybody, it's going to be complicated and simple, confusing and clear. All of these paradoxical things. And you will navigate through it all. And at the end, you will have built what I said is a meaningful life. But don't think that it's not going to be complicated, that stuff isn't going to happen.
2: But no, you'll get through it.
1: Mm. Well, and
2: Maria, that's so right. And I was so glad that you have found many occasions, including in your latest book, I've Been Thinking, you found a lovely opportunity to talk about mental health issues, which you said correctly so. Everybody has mental health issues. Everybody. Everybody. And you applauded Prince William and Prince Harry for bringing these things forward and normalizing that we need to support each other's journey to deal with our stuff. Right. That's the key right there, Lisa. It's to not be
3: shocked that something happens to you. You're like, oh, my God, something happened. You're like, uh, duh, yeah, something happen, right? <laughs> okay. And it's really not even about the other person when something happens. It's about you and who is in your faith keeper group. How are you going to yep. navigate it? Who are you? What's meaningful to you? What do you think? And so that, to me, is the hope of this book, is that it serves as a companion to everybody along the way, and that everybody know that life is complex and complicated, but that it is survivable if we stay together and we don't put up this facade. You know, I hate, like, sometimes women have a baby, and then they're like, I'm in my size two jeans one week later, and you're like, what? Or like, I'm, you know, or whatever, because... These kind of false images what 's what I really liked on the Grammys the suicide video, but um, oh, the mm-hmm. call in line because you saw all these pictures of people in quote happy lives, and then it said all of these people called the hotline, yeah, the suicide hotline, and the image of what we project to the world and the reality I think that 's the challenge for all of us is to try to match our outer projection of ourselves with our true projection of who we really are. And so what I like to say to my kids is I'm flawed. I'm imperfected. They're like, move on, get up. I'm like, no, I can't. No, I'm no. on the floor. You know? I, felt no, like I, grieving,
1: can't. I felt like allowing myself to grieve my divorce was phenomenal. I did not care. I walked through my neighborhood with my dogs with snot running down my face, my tears everywhere. People would say, how are you? I would say, not good. And I felt like that was the first time in my life where I allowed myself to be 100% authentic. And I had never asked for help before. I, I love how you talk about this in the book, Maria, about asking for help. I was just blatant. I called Lisa. I was like, dude, I need money. And she's mm. like, okay, here's a check. I wasn't even wow. embarrassed. For you, Lisa. We had never missed a bill. We were late on one mortgage payment our whole 19 years of marriage, and that was only because He had had a burst appendix and was in the hospital, and we just forgot. We were late by five days or something. But I had never missed a bill. And suddenly, when I was faced with losing everything, I thought, who cares? This has no bearing on who I am as a person. I am not a bad person because my husband doesn't love me anymore. Somebody said to me, aren't you embarrassed that your husband cheated? I'm like, what? Why? I was a great wife. I'm not in the slightest bit embarrassed. And I think it was because I was so free with my grief that I got through it and that we can be friends now. But it's also okay to be embarrassed.
3: It's okay to feel shame. It's okay to Oh, that's a good point. No, I think it's okay because that's human behavior. That's human emotion. And I think that to deny that we feel grief, we feel shame, we feel embarrassment, we feel humiliation, whatever it is, the more that's kind of out there as that's okay, that people don't feel then like something's wrong with them, that they feel embarrassed, that they feel shamed, that they have, as we would saying, a mental health issue or whatever. It would be for such a judgmental society, and I think more so now than ever before, that people are afraid to convey who they really are because they're going to be judged. They're going to be shamed. After your video, Linda, when I was watching it this morning, up top, the Monica Lewinsky video. Oh, I love that one. Right after yours. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I hadn't watched it, and I watched it. Uh, and shame on all of us, as judgmental as we all are. that That's one of the things that I find myself really wanting to work on all the time, is to make sure that I can eliminate whatever judgments I have. Because the one thing I've learned later in life, and I focus on it now all the time, and this whole Me Too has brought it up, is none of us know anything about what anybody else is going through. None of us. And we just have no clue what's going on in people's lives. So how can we judge them? Because we just don't know. If we stop pretending we know about other people's lives and just focus on what we think and what we're doing and how we can make the world better and stop being in this position of judging people, we would do ourselves and our fellow citizens a favor.
1: And according to Gabrielle Bernstein, who I interviewed about her book, Judgment Detox, last month, when you stop judging, you get more magical. Things flow better. Your life works better, which sounds kind of woo-woo. But then when you really break it down, think about how much more time you have if you're not going to be judgmental. For that reason alone, it's a good idea to stop. Yeah. What a waste of time. Well, you but go. Maria, you, you write, Maria, in your book about the
2: complaining.
3: Yeah. Well, that came from this story where I was sitting around with all my brothers and we were like, can you believe our parents did this? And God, mommy did that and daddy did that. And I was like, wait a minute. We're all five best friends. We're all sitting here together in their house. We all depend on each other. Wait a minute. <laughs> they must have done something really right. <laughs> so imagine if we just stopped complaining and actually took that off the table, took that off the day. Imagine what our days would be like. And so I really try to do that or confine it to a certain amount of time. I said to my son the other day, I said, maybe you could confine your complaining between 8 and 8.30 or between 5.15 and 5.30 and then to free up the rest of the day because I'm happy to listen to you in that period, but really not all day long. I'm not
2: tired. <laughs> Hey, Lisa, will
1: you do the, uh, rapid fire?
2: Oh, yes. Maria, if you're ready for a rapid fire, apparently this is a standard feature mm. of Linda's oh. show, and I have been given the time to do it. So, are you ready? Yes. Okay. LA or Hyannisport?
3: Oh. LA.
2: LA. Yep. Yeah.
3: I don't know if it's for a day, the life, or I need more information. If you're asking (laughs) me where do I want to live, not Hyannisport full time. See, this
2: is the author of I've Been Thinking. You don't have to qualify or explain yourself, girl.
1: Yoga or soul cycle? Yoga. (laughs) Woo! Ding, 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 ding. Speaking of yoga, oh, my gosh, have you done Lisa's three-week yoga retreat yet? Wait a minute. I'm going away for three weeks? No. (laughs) No. So my dog was at the vet. And I'm sitting there in the waiting room and Lisa comes on on this infomercial for this three-week yoga retreat. And you just buy the DVDs and you watch them at home. And I said right then and there, I'm like, I don't know why. I'm sitting in the vet's office at 6.30 in the morning. I'm so grumpy because I think my dog may be really severely ill. And I said, okay, God, if she dies... I will take it as a sign from you to take better care of myself, and I'm buying I won't call Lisa because I know she'll give it to me. I'm going to buy it and support the cause, and I'm going to do this damn yoga because I've been thinking my whole life I need to do yoga. So, of course, my dog died, and I bought the yoga thing, and damn if it isn't the most amazing program. In two days, I felt like a different person. No oh well,
3: I, Okay, well,
2: I'm going to do that because
1: I'm all so about funny. feeling
2: like a different person.
3: Uh,
1: <laughs> it's all about what
2: we've been talking about, which is just giving yourself because Maria, your book is all filled with and begins literally every chapter with a prayer. Whether you call it yes, and you say whether it's God or Buddha or Adonai or whatever you yes. call your higher power, or just you know right. finding that part of yourself, just that meditation, that reflection, just taking that time every day to listen, yes. to set your intention, to you know. Mm-hmm. Breathe, right. So that's right. kind of a yeah. lot of what the yoga is about. So anyway, thanks, Lynn. That's really oh, sweet.
3: So good. Okay, I'm going to do that. I love but that. so for
2: a lot of women, we have, especially older women, we have forgotten that focusing are on Are we older us, women? Yeah. I believe we are. Damn it. We are?
3: I don't but know. All, I never have described myself as such.
2: All things are relative. We're older than our daughters, so that's Okay, all. there. <laughs> we are older than our daughters. You know that I
3: daughter. feel? It's interesting because I don't subscribe to being, I mean, my brothers would say that probably about me,
1: but I... Well, because three of them are younger than
3: you. Yes, but I don't feel like a, quote, older woman, ironically. I I don't... I feel young. I feel excited. I feel inspired. I feel like I want to get going. I feel like I'm having this conversation with myself. What can I dream about now? I feel Mm. like... In many ways, like I felt when I was 20.
1: Yeah. My grandmother good? said that when she was 80. She said, Linda, I still feel like I'm 16. And she flirted yeah. with every orderly in that hospital, man. That woman was ready to dance. <laughs> oh yeah, gosh, I love that. I love that. I love that.
2: So having given that preface then, the next question on this list is sleep or sex? <laughs> well, right now, sleep. Because, uh, <laughs>
3: But I'm I, you're remarried, so the you girls are giving me hope, but I have to qualify these, so
2: I'm I guess I'm sleeping. But I would like to be uh not sleeping. So then the question on Lynn, these are good questions, and so on the marriage would you do it again question, that is a maybe? Would I do it again? You know,
3: I like to be married. I like marriage. I believe in marriage. And would I do it again? That's an I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: girls or boys? Who's easier to parent? Oh, boys. Boys? <laughs> what? Not for Lisa and me. That's oh, a well, shock answer. answer. <laughs> really?
3: Yeah, I found that boys are more physical or more. But I find in my house, the girls are awesome. They're the ones that when I got sick, took care of me. They're the ones that make sure I'm eating the right stuff or going to the doctor and doing all that sort of stuff. But there's a, a lot more going on with girls, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah no,
2: I actually do agree with that. That's point. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> Boys are straightforward. So yeah. which do you okay. prefer, your on-air TV appearances or being in your jammies and writing your books? Well, being
3: in my jammies, being in my exercise with my hair braided, having mm-hmm. fun, by far.
2: By far. Oh. By far. Would you cut your hair or cut out coffee? <laughs> <gasps> that is tough a question as
3: i've ever had that's cruel Both of which i'm very dependent on i don't know i <laughs> can't cruel. do it that's the question i i have never been stumped by a question until this moment
2: how about that's you that one's really cruel isn't it oh yeah, i would cut my you? hair i would cut my hair but i don't have no. maria's hair so i couldn't answer for maria's hair <laughs> well once again we'd have to say how short
3: like yeah true thinking, you know, Yes, so... Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. You yes. wouldn't need a qualifier, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes,
1: i need a qualifier all the time. Okay, so <laughs> I have a story I want to bring up. Are we done with rapid fire, Lee? No, you have the... This is the best one. This I is your another. question. Okay, go. If oh. you had
2: to come back, Maria, into any other family, <laughs> whose family would you choose? I would come back into your family. Whose oh, yeah. family would you come back into? Whose family? Other than my family?
3: Mm-hmm. Gosh, I've never thought about that.
2: I know, right?
3: No, I think I'd want to come back into my family and maybe do a few things differently. That's a good one. I might, and I then might, I would I change it. By doing things differently, I would kind of change my family up a bit. Yeah, right? So it, was, it would be a different family of sorts. You'd have a sister? I don't know if I'd have a sister, but I would have... No, I liked my brothers. I mean, I always wanted a sister, but I feel really blessed. I have four really great brothers who uh are really good to me and...
1: They're good to the world, too. Talk about change agents. Your brothers, all of you, are so indoctrinated into just giving back. It's like you said. It's (laughs) mythical. It's epic. It's epic. It's epic. 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 So I have a question for both of you, and I want to share a story that brings up the universal feeling of being sort of out of your league. It was the mid-1990s. I had never been published. I was struggling to make my first book attractive to agents. It was a book of interviews with celebrities about how they had succeeded, not unlike this show, only it was more spiritual and environmental even. Lisa, I don't know if you were in it yet, but I knew at the time it was crucial for me to have A-list interviews if I was ever going to be able to sell it. So I'm at Caesars Tahoe. I'm staying on the top floor, and apparently Michael Jordan was as well. He had just won his fifth NBA World Championship, so you don't get any bigger than that. And I'm on my way down to the lobby for dinner. Michael and I end up alone in the same elevator, and we've got 32 floors to make a connection. And I'm thinking, oh, clearly I am in God's pocket right now. I am in the very right place at the very right time. And so as I'm feeling all excited, we're on floor 29, 28, 27, and I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? Why can't I say anything? I 24, 23, 22. And I look down and I laugh nervously and I utter the single most brilliant words that any interviewer or salesperson has ever conjured. Here's what I said. "Um, Michael, uh, you wouldn't want to be interviewed for a book I'm writing, would you? (laughs) 11, 10, 9. And he's like, "Uh, nope, don't think so. (laughs) He says, 7, 6, 5. But thanks anyway. And the door is open and I'm thinking, Oh, my God, the elevator speech that every artist knows you're supposed to be ready for? Who the hell knew that was literal? So I (laughs) ask you both, starting with Maria, did you ever have an elevator speech fail or a time that you thought your future rested in one person only to have that dream totally dashed? No. That's fantastic. That's charmed, babe.
3: (laughs) I'm trying to think if I were in the elevator with Michael Jordan. Um, Yeah. (laughs) What would I actually ask him? And it comes back to how I started this conversation. Please, I think one of the things that well-known people really miss or really don't get enough of is a knowing of themselves, Mm. like uh, normal questions, normal an occasion to be themselves. And so I'm trying to think if I were on the elevator. What would I like to ask, or I find myself sometimes when people, I'm on an elevator, what has meant something to me when someone said something to me? And it's usually been, thank you for your work on Alzheimer's, or my mom has Alzheimer's and you know, you're dead too. How are you doing? Or something like that. And I have found in my journalism when I did that, and then I followed up later with an interview, I always got
1: an interview. Yeah, so you start with the human connection first. Yeah, I start with the human connection. And not the bullshit, what can I get from this person?
3: Yeah, but if you only have a minute and you're trying out, who would? It's kind of like today, people like, I want to take a selfie or something. We're in a time when, I guess, everybody wants that. Or you feel like your future depends on one person, and you didn't get an interview with Michael Jordan, and you have this beautiful podcast. So your future doesn't depend on one person, right? It doesn't depend on that interview. I've Mm -hmm. had those interviews and I still got fired, you know? (laughs) It's true. So I think your future depends on you.
1: That's so interesting. You know, I am a wild liberal, right? I'm a tree-hugging liberal. But I will say that the best thing Donald Trump told me when I interviewed him in 2000, he said, Linda, even at my level, nine out of 10 business deals fall through. So I've learned never to put my hopes into any one thing and to always be working on lots of things at the same time. And that advice has helped me a lot in my career. I no longer ever bank on just one outcome, ever. But I did before that. Well, Maria
2: writes in the book about how hard it was for you to learn to ask. And you talk specifically about asking for money as it relates to money for research and asking for scientists and people to come on board. With right. your work, and that's hard even for you. It's hard for everybody to, yeah. whether you're asking for a job or you're asking for permission or you're asking to be hired, whatever it is. And those thresholds really do reflect back on our worth and where we began this conversation, which was your list of I deserve, right? Yeah. Um, right. And that's really kind of an interesting. The more you do it, the stronger we grow that muscle. But it's a really hard thing to do.
1: Lisa, yeah. do you have any epic fails? Any elevator speech fails?
2: Oh I have a I was gonna say I have a very long list of epic fails, but um <laughs> Yeah, I, I have go, I have epic yeah.
1: fails. I just don't have them in the elevator. I am mean, in the Yeah, that me context. either.
2: <laughs> I don't have that same thing either, but I anybody's ever been a beat reporter, you have lots of calling and getting told no for the yeah. interview. You get used to being conditioned by no, so you no longer assign that awful negativity to no. It's just an answer. So you do get used to that, and you learn how to kind of triage that kind of neutrality of the no. And the formula for me was three no's turns into a yes. So I would just try to quickly get to the no, so I could begin to add up to yes.
1: Yeah, and I used to notice that no means maybe and maybe means yes. So a lot of my no's actually turned into yeses. Oh. Like even with Maria, I pitched to you, Maria, not through you, but through your assistant, maybe a year and a half ago, this show and she said she's not working on a book right now so this isn't the yes. right time but when she is it may be the right time so right and then when i wrote to you about your gosh your blog really moved me the one about the fire so i think it was around uh, december 10th you yeah. were you were evacuating almost as yes. was i and so we were faced with that momentary we've got hurricane whipping winds with fire out the windows and you're thinking what am i going to take And you and I grabbed the same stuff. It was letters from our parents and drawings from our children. And I had the same reaction. When I read your blog, I had goosebumps on my kneecaps because it was (laughs) the exact reaction, which was I had no idea I needed so little of the things I have.
0: And it was such
1: a beautiful experience to run through my whole house and open every drawer and just go, okay. I backed up my photos when Katrina happened. I learned how to do that. I have the pictures that mean the most to me. And now I've got the letters from my parents, a few things of theirs, just like you did. And I've got the pets and my kids. I've got it all. Right. And what a freeing thing. When I read your blog, I wrote to Lisa and I said, Lise, it's time, Maria. And she's like, Oh yeah.
3: <laughs> and then <I> that's you. <laughs> but thankfully I think that is true. You. Certain things have timing. There is timing for all of these things in life that you, Write this kind of book now, and you write a different book later. You give this kind of speech now. You do this interview now, but later you do something else. And It's allowing people their timing, respecting their timing, respecting your own timing, and to just keep trying, which brings me back to what Lisa was saying. Just keep trying. Keep trying to get it right. Keep trying to put out into the world good work. That's what I say to my kids all the time. She's like, my daughter's like, I didn't get this. I didn't get that. I said, that's okay. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. Look at mommy. I'm 62 and I get turned down all the time, but I just keep trying. (laughs) I just keep going. And that's it. That's it. We're all here for a minute. The goal is to live, as I said, a meaningful life, to have the time to do that. We're blessed
1: and uh just to keep trying until you can't try anymore.
3: When you and- say we're
1: here for a minute that reminds me of the best advice Lisa ever gave me, which I tell so many people Lisa I said it to a 15-year-old boy the other day. He walked into my house. My sister's working with the foster care system to mentor him and he has never known his parents. He's just had a very 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 tough life and he came over to the house and I was nervous about it because our house Is beautiful. And I've lived in shacks before. Lisa knows I've lived in guest cottages with pea stains on the carpet. But I happen to live in a really beautiful home now. And he came over and he was a little freaked out by it. He said, oh my God, it's the prettiest house I've ever seen. And I remembered what you said, Lisa, when I went to your house, when I lived in a shack, Lisa lived in the old, what was it, the mansion, Jane Crawford? Oh, the Joan Crawford house. The Joan Crawford house, the big pink house. Oh. So I went to Lisa's house and I was kind of awestruck and blown away. And you said to me, Lisa, everything is just on loan to us for this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that rocked and changed my world. I thought, oh. oh. And so I said that to this 15 year old boy. I said, you know, I've lived in one room. I've lived in a couple of one rooms and this just happens to be where I live now. I don't know where I'll live in 10 years, but everything is just on loan to us for this lifetime. True. And he Mm -hmm. said, oh, my God, thank you for that, because he's living in a group home with locked doors and no phones. So that meant a lot to me, Lisa. I'll never forget that. Oh, thanks for sharing that. That's so sweet. (laughs) That's so sweet. What a beautiful
2: time to be able to share this time with such amazing women that you both are. Um, Thank you for asking me to be on your show today with Maria, Linda. That's very generous of you. Thank you. Well, Lisa is an architect of change because
3: she's doing such extraordinary work in this space that we share, the Alzheimer's space, and I'm really grateful. There are not a lot of us in this space, and I'm always so grateful to be working alongside of her, supporting her with what she needs as she does for me. And I feel like she's one of those people. I know I could call it time, and she knows the same. Yeah. And now she's introduced me to you. And so
1: now we have another little circle.
3: Oh, they're all Yes, We do. I'm, is, be, right?
1: I'm beyond grateful. You know, I grew up watching every episode of Dick Cavett and Merv Griffin and Johnny Carson and Joan Rivers and Phil Donahue and Oprah and Barbara Walters and Larry King and David Letterman and read all Ooh. of their books when they wrote them. And with no idea that I would ever do this for a living or, Worked for a magazine writing cover stories for years. I had no idea. All I knew is that that's what I cared about. I didn't care about movies or kissing co-stars. I just wanted to talk to people who were changing the world. And it's been one of the great joys of my life to be friends with Lisa. And I was so nervous when I met you, Maria, at your place. I couldn't even talk. I was just (laughs) hanging out in the back with my arms crossed, staring at you really weird, like a total stalker. You've just always meant a lot to me. So thank you. That's a huge honor. I have one more question for you guys. So this question is for both of you, starting with Maria. After all the years you watched your parents struggle with Alzheimer's and its effect on the family and all the scientific research you've poured over and interviews with doctors and alliances with hospitals and caregivers, what does protecting yourself and your family Look like on a daily basis at home. What top things can you recommend? Things you do with your kids from movement, diet, sleep. What can we replicate at home that you do? That's a big question. Uh, Maybe the top three. How about that? Well, I would begin by saying that what
3: I hope I did was show my kids what caring for a parent with Alzheimer's and/or stroke, because my mother had strokes at the same time. What that looks like. And so they know what that looks like, which is why they're really clear. They don't want me to get Alzheimer's because they've seen that up close. And I think that's important for kids to see. And I think it's an important conversation to have with your family about what does care look like? What does it entail? What does it cost? Who's going to do it? I think they're very aware of my work, involved in my work, and they know that I talk a lot about a mind-healthy diet. I talk about, I need to move today because it's good for my brain. I never say it's going to get rid of my thunder thighs, as my brother says. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm really clear. I'm exercising really for my brain. Actually, uh-huh. the truth, I want to eat for my brain, or I'll say, I don't want that person back in my house. They're not good for my brain. I say
1: that. Okay. Uh, because uh, can true. you tell us what you do eat for your brain? That's great. Well,
3: I eat very differently now than I used to. So I eat blueberries. I put brain on or MCT oil in my coffee. I put it in my shakes. I take a vitamin pills. I take supplements that I never used to take. I meditate. I'm stricter with my sleep. I go to bed earlier. Yeah. I meditate every morning. I put uh, coca-V in my shakes. I try to eat more protein and fats. I try to cut back on sugar, although it's really
1: hard for me. I have a real sweet tooth. Yeah. So I'm in battle with that. And I think most of us are in battle with that. Yeah. My best friend came to one of your movement events. Well, Ryan Chandler's mother, Diane Chandler. Right. Yeah. yeah, And Di said, she called me on the way home and she said, we've got to get our friends off aspartame. I mean, I've never had aspartame, but Diane did drink it. She'd have diet drinks and stuff. Not that she needed them, but
2: she
3: said, we've got to get
1: everybody off Aspartame. She said that one of your doctors at the event... Yes, all the studies do show just that. one yes. soda a day gives you a 50% chance increase in Alzheimer's. Is that true? Well, it
3: definitely is connected in studies yeah. to Alzheimer's and other dementias. What we're really learning, and Lisa knows this obviously as well better than I do, which has changed really in the last couple of years, we're learning a lot more about the effects of processed food, for example, on the brain. We're learning a lot more about what we can do today to activate our brains, engage our brains. This is all because of technology. All right. Because of research and stuff, we know a lot more today than when Lisa and I both started. There's a lot more information about the effect of sugar on the brain. There's a lot more information about chemicals like you're talking about on the brain. So I think it's little processed foods, as you can do now, that's not possible for everybody. And a lot of the times, people say, "Well, do you do actually everything you say religiously?" I'm like, "No, I don't. That's the truth." Yeah. Um, you can find me walking through a um, airport, and if I smell those pretzels, I'm I'm in the line, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, I have the information, and I try as yeah. best I can
1: to implement it. I mm-hmm. don't
3: drink sodas at all. Oh, not gosh. at all.
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Lisa, how about you? Daily habits yoga, Maria's list
2: was almost a complete one in terms of, you know, I have to smile because we used to not know about medium chain triglycerides and adding that to things. And I whip it up now in my coffee every day. And the supplements that I take on a daily basis, I would have rolled my eyes even five years ago, thinking that I take that many things. But now we have studies to look at the efficacy of these things. And we know that In autopsy, Alzheimer's brains, for example, we've known for a while now that they're deplete in D and they're deplete in B12 and things like that, that mainstream communities now are saying these are the kinds of supplements that people are recommending. And brain games, it's now not just, oh, crossword puzzles. Now they're looking at particular games that are showing protective benefits for brain health. So yes, and meditation, things that are not just, why don't you try it? but Mm-hmm. You really should be if you're serious about being at risk. And as Maria always says, if you have a brain, you're at risk for <laughs> right. whether you have a family right. history or not. Then we should all act as if we're at risk because we really yeah. are. But yeah. I think that to borrow tomorrow's trouble today is kind of fruitless. Right. But to be naive is no way to live your life. So I always tell my kids too, to be present, to be involved. In their own lives and in changing the potential for the future, to make their wishes known, to be very aware of my wishes. I think those things are urgent, and to be aware that the science is evolving every day. You can make yourself insane. I so know. to be bo- going through at night, you know, searching the internet, and the kids are always laughing, say, "Oh, it's Web L G again." There she goes.
1: Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> so where can our listeners get a list of the best supplements? Is there an easy book or something that you recommend so that they can learn more about MCT oil and which vitamins are good? Well, I would say, first of all, that they should talk to their doctor. Okay. Um, that's the most
3: important thing. If they're 60 or so and above, they should meet a neurologist. They should talk about their cognitive health, maybe do a cognitive baseline test. Supplements are good for certain people, not for others. So it's yeah. all very personalized. So I wouldn't yeah. say to somebody go and take these supplements because I don't know their medical situation. So I would just say to check with your doctor. There are a lot of books out there now that talk about a lot of these supplements and talk about Alzheimer's prevention and the end of Alzheimer's and you are your own healing self. There's a lot of information out there, but if you have a doctor that you trust, I would start with that and knowing your own tests of your own
1: blood, et cetera. Yeah, but I love, Lisa, how you just ended that little section where you were saying, you need to be positive. You don't want to scare yourself. And one of the things I love the most about this book, Maria, is at the end, you have the 60 life lessons for your birthday. And I just, uh, I can't read them all, but I love them so much. Things like, stop wishing you were a different age, love the age you are, or be kind to your body because it will be with you for life. Or diets are a waste of time. I've tried them all. And know that no matter how smart you are, you can't change someone else. And I think this last one, number 60, is the perfect way to end this. You say, have faith that your best days are ahead of you, that your next frontier will be the most fulfilling time of your life, and that you deserve to be seen as good enough just the way you are, including by yourself. Yeah. Thank you. I wish
3: I'd known all of that much earlier. I really do. And that's why a lot of my work is about passing it on. That's why, like what Lisa is talking about in terms of brain health, your brain starts to change at 30. I wish I'd known that. I wish I had known a lot of the stuff I know today when I was 30 and 40. And that's why, in a way, I'm trying to pass it on to my kids. And I put it into this little book because it's never too uh, early to start trying to have a meaningful life and it's never too late. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: uh, your job is not going to give you a meaningful life. It may mm-hmm. make you successful or it may land you on a magazine or something, but that's not going to give you a meaningful life. Trust me. Been there, done that, done work. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, uh, That's the truth.
1: And that's the truth. What a, a delightful truth. conversation. Thank you, you too. I'm so Thank honored. you so much. Thank you. So
3: great Linda. Love, love, love you, Maria. Love you Julie. Time. All Bye. right. Take care. All
0: Bye. right. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you, everyone, for sharing your precious time with me here. I hope it's always worth your while. Remember to pick up Maria's I've Been Thinking and let it help spark your own best thoughts. For more from Lisa, find our past conversation about her bestseller, Fierce Optimism, Seven Secrets for Playing Nice and Winning Big with Danielle Laporte and me here as well. To enter Maria's digital home with all sorts of info about architects of change, fighting Alzheimer's, and signing up for her Sunday paper, that all lives over at maria.shriver.com. And all things Lisa, including her nonprofit, Lisa's Care Connection, and three-week yoga retreat DVDs, the ones I was raving about earlier, they're all over on lisagibbons.com. As for me, oh my gosh, I'm having some of the best writing time of my life right now working on both Beautiful Writers, the book for this podcast, and one on Time Debt with Bronwyn Saig my dream co-author. I haven't scheduled any Carmel writing retreats for the fall or winter yet until I see how we're doing on getting her done. So for now, the April 16th retreat is the only one that still has open spots. If you've been thinking about coming, I will say that all sorts of magic has been birthed there, including multiple TED Talks, lots of New York Times bestsellers and agent hookups, Award winning books and rockin' business plans. I hope you'll check it out over at bookmama.com. That's it for now. If you love the show, I so, so, so appreciate your five stars over on iTunes to help spread the news. Until next time, right on.